Welcome back to Second Helping, the podcast of choice for fans and followers of the number one league in all of collegiate athletics, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the 247sports.com network, back with you here on the show, joined as always by my great friend and co-host, Brent Beard, College Football Analyst for First Coast News in Jacksonville, Florida, longtime voter as well for the top honor in all of collegiate athletics that honor of course the heisman trophy brandon doesn't feel like football season outside (laughs) right now in the south in mid-june maybe it feels like fall camp a little bit though with this oh yeah man can you imagine uh running gassers Mm -mm. or stadium steps Mm -mm. in the midst of this uh i can't i can't either uh i tell you what i am excited about one uh, is Father's Day Sunday, and congratulations to you and all our fathers uh, mm-hmm. who are listening right now. Uh, excited about College World Series starting, uh, my friend, over the weekend. That that's going to be fun to keep up with. That it's almost the SEC Invitational, shall we say? Uh, and by the way, just got word on this that because it just came out over Twitter. People who are uh, EA sports fans for uh, the popular college football game, Trav, that's coming out now. They've announced July of 23, so basically a little over a year for folks who might be interested in that uh, uh, and will want to pick up a copy of it later on. Uh, Folks may wonder when that was coming out. Yeah, the gamers out there among the listenership uh, ready for that one. No doubt about it. After that extended hiatus for that oh, ever-popular yes. game. So uh, they're holding their breath collectively <laughs> for another year until they get that one in their grimy little paws. But you're right about the College World Series coming up over the next week or so. They're in Omaha, Nebraska. The SEC West, really. Yes. Four SEC Western Division teams <laughs> qualify Amazing. for the 18-field at the College World Series. And then you got a couple of future SEC members yeah. in Texas and Oklahoma taking part. So uh, it's the SEC's world, as we know, and we're just living in it. But always a lot of fun to keep up with the CWS, and certainly I'll be doing that. Got U.S. Open golf. I'm a big fan of the golf, mm-hmm. so I've got that to get me through the upcoming weekend. Father's Day, you said it. Props to all the dads out there. Also props to all the moms, too. Oh, yeah. That handle that role, uh, dual role as uh, single moms out there uh, as well. I got I got a week with Pops coming up (laughs) at the beach next week. It's Pops Palooza coming up down in Crescent City Beach, Florida. So that's what I've got to look forward to next week. So, Trent, my question to you is, do you expect his behavior to be exemplary over the next few days? No, not at all. (laughs) <laughs> Not at all. I do think it's improved. Nana has implemented some really regimented, hard and fast <laughs> restrictions on pops for Beach Week over no the years. Speedos, Some, no speedos. Well, no, no, no speedos for pops. No, 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 no. He won't be in one of those. But you know, pops likes to do that surf fishing. Yeah, he likes to go out up to about his knees, which for pops that's about six inches deep. Yes. You know, in the water. That's all it takes to get to his knees. He's all <laughs> of about 5'4 these days. So 
but he likes to go out there and he'll put that dead shrimp in his pockets. Mm-hmm. You know, he, that's his bait for his fishing. Right. Uh, and he'll forget about them. You know, so Nano grabbed that bathing suit about seven thirty, eight o'clock, and oh my gosh, the dead <laughs> shrimp and everything in there. But no, it always promises to be an entertaining week. I'm Look sure. out for the Twitter Twitter content yes. probably coming up in the next week with Pops uh, down there at the beach. But we do have some things to touch on from the college football perspective with the SEC. And Brent, it sounds like there's a movement afoot where the transfer portal is concerned that perhaps there could be some change coming sooner rather than later. Well, and and frankly, a lot of people uh, really feel that this is needed. Uh, And as a matter of fact, just uh, on Friday, uh, getting word uh, that the Division I Transformation Committee, and, and oh, by the way, uh, Trevor, I'll give you three guesses, and the first one doesn't count, who's chairing that committee uh, from the SEC and one Greg Sankey uh, that they were trying to, uh, to basically, that there's such a wide gap uh, right now that the uh, the NCAA board's going to review the proposal at its next meeting on June 30th. If they support it, the Division I Council will weigh in at its meeting on July 20th, and the vote will be August 3rd. Now, now that's not too far away from here, uh, but what we're uh, looking at, and they didn't give specific details, but uh, it's, it's talking about a proposed window for student-athletes to enter the portal and additionally, it calls for more accountability for schools who pick up transfers via the portal, which comes as questions continue about this. So uh, a lot of stuff we don't know about it, but we do know uh, that fortunately at this point, they want to change the current uh, uh, window, which is open from August 1 to May 1. And what Todd Barry at the American Coach Association is basically, instead of having that many months, trying to narrow it down to uh, basically during the year, uh, maybe two two-week periods uh, to where they can kind of come and go as, as they please. So, uh, Trev, it may not be much, but it is good to hear that they're trying to uh, to put a little more accountability and responsibility for the transfer portal yeah you're not going to roll this thing entirely back at this point i think we all understand that but in terms of safeguards and um, some ways to maintain the integrity of the of collegiate athletics i mean look we're not naive here we understand we pretty much reached a point of professional sports yes where collegiate athletics are concerned but uh, in terms of just trying to keep things together more so across the board than anything else, uh, some, some activity, some movements that are in play to try to try to help in that regard. We'll see. We'll see. One thing we're finding out about, thanks to Brent Beard here on the program, is that we've got a continuation of college football magazines to update. Brent, where are we at right now on the college football mag rollout? And well, I guess we're still waiting on Phil, right? We Phil are. Will be, Phil yes. will be last. Uh, well, he'll, he'll he'll be the cleanup guy, sort of. He will. Uh, Lindy's SEC and National are out. Uh, Athlon National is out. Phil Steele, uh, in a 
very disappointing uh, tweet on Thursday said that he was set to go in Colorado to uh, sign magazines. And, Trev, something happened in production, and they are not going to be available until next Monday. So uh, Phil was set, ready to go. He said he worked on the magazine seven months. He's uh, interviewed about 100 at 130 coaches. Uh, so if you're a Phil Steele fan, and a lot of people are, uh, just hang on because uh, it, either next week or certainly after that, they will start hitting the stands. It's also that time of year where we kind of revisit streaks in college football, mm-hmm. like weeks at number one in the AP poll since 1990. I know you've got an interesting note here in that regard, best home records in college football since 2014, man, and just further illustrates the dominance of Alabama really in both areas. Although when it comes to home records over the last seven or eight seasons, Clemson sits there at the top of that list at 53 and one since 2014 there at Death Valley East weeks at number one since 1990. Alabama, 107 weeks in the number one spot, (laughs) and that is more than double of what the next closest programs uh, have been able to compile there. Ohio State and USC, uh, I guess, at 43 each, Nebraska at 32, and it just, again, just underscores this incredible run under Nick Saban more than anything else. Yes, there was a stretch with Gene Stallings there uh, in the early to mid-ish 90s where that probably came into play with Alabama in the top spot. But virtually all of this, when you talk about the 107 weeks at number one since 90, attributable to Nick Saban. Uh, in Ohio State, second, it's not, and it's not even close uh, with 43. Tra- Trav, I know this caught your eye probably pretty quickly is – my goodness, how dominant in the in the nineties was uh, Southern Cal and Nebraska? Because a lot of people would tell you real quick uh, uh, in the two thousands, especially this the, the the previous decade and this current decade, neither team's done very much at all, have they? And what's interesting, since we're talking about since ninety, um, you know, some of these teams haven't won national championships That's right. during that time frame. Look at Notre Dame. Notre Dame, 30 weeks at number one in the AP yes. poll. A lot of this under Lou Holtz. I'm going to go ahead and guess there. Mm-hmm. Um, that 93 team comes to mind. Beat Florida State yes. in yes. South Bend and then proceeded to fall immediately to Boston College, I think, right. the following week uh, there yeah. in South Bend as well. But Notre Dame, 30 weeks at number one. By my recollection, Notre Dame hasn't won a national championship since, like, what, 88? That's right. That's exactly what it was. And, and Trav, correct me on this. Wasn't that Boston College team, was that Tom Coughlin's team that beat them? That was Tom Coughlin, and that sort of win went a long way in Tom Coughlin parlaying the Boston College job into the Jacksonville Jaguars job. And then, of course— a couple of world championships with the New York Giants and Eli Manning at quarterback. So fascinating to consider some of these numbers and how it doesn't always correlate to big trophies. That's right. Uh, 
with the weeks at number one, but impressive nonetheless. We talked about the best home record since 2014. When you look at SEC teams specifically, Alabama at 52 and two. A couple of coaches responsible for those wins over the Crimson Tide in Tuscaloosa. Ah, it might come as a bit of a surprise in retrospect. Hugh Freeze and Ed Orgeron. Yes. How about oh, yes. that for a duo? <laughs> Yeah, get those two wins over the Crimson Tide at Brian Denny. Uh, well, and, and I'll say this to correlate further is uh, your top five: Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, and Georgia. Trev, that <clears throat> that's basically our top five over the last what many years? Oh, no doubt. You're right. Uh, pretty much constants when you talk about the top five programs in college football over this same stretch. Those would be the schools that come to mind. Georgia, from the SEC perspective, as you said, 43-6 and six at home at Sanford Stadium since 2014. One of those six, Brent Beard, championship, American, intercollegiate, varsity tackle yes. football coach, <laughs> Paul Johnson. He got exactly. Kirby, he got Kirby he sure in year did, one, didn't he? Didn't he? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Paul Johnson there. So there you go. From the uh, SEC perspective, pretty much Alabama and Georgia on that list of best home records since 2014. You talk about active home win streaks. Dabo and Clemson have been absolutely dominant with 34 in a row at home. Alabama, after dropping that game in 2019 to LSU, has reeled off. 13 in a row. Georgia, 12 home wins in a row. Ole Miss. How about Ole Miss on this list, good. Brent? With yeah. nine in a row under Lane Kiffin there at Vaught. Really has made that Ole Miss experience uh, from the from, – they, they've taken it from the – from the uh, from the grove to the field, as far as what people looked at, ten wins last year with Jackson Dart. People think he may be able to do it again this year. Yeah, and look, Luke Altmyer's going to have a say in that situation at quarterback. I think when you look at sort of the transfer portal and how it's going to impact that Ole Miss team, it's undeniable. Really it across the board, defensively, offensively up front on that offensive line, the running back position. Tight end Michael Trigg might be the biggest of them all, he, though. He very well Miss. may be. Also in terms of making, down. Yeah, making them very difficult to defend, uh, similar to Kenny Uboa a couple of years ago when he came in from Temple at the tight end position. Here's another one that's absolutely just crazy when you talk about these active streaks and these streaks in general. Active weeks in the top 10. Alabama, 109 consecutive weeks in the top 10. Next closest program, I could probably stop 100 cars. Yes, yes. Out on a uh, busy thoroughfare this afternoon and not be able to get someone to come up with Cincinnati up yep. next. No, no 28 doubt. street weeks in the top 10 for uh, the Bearcats. And then you've got Georgia with 17. And again, from the SEC perspective, you got the Alabama-Georgia representation, and that's about it. Uh, it really is. Uh, and look, one that's at the end of this, 
but I think this is just beginning if he stays there. Dave Aranda, Baylor. Yeah. Uh, Trav, could you see, and this discussion on another day, could you see Dave Aranda uh, getting some real looks from SEC teams in the future? No doubt. No doubt about that. Active weeks in the top 25. Alabama, 229 straight weeks in the top 25. Up next, the Bulldogs of Georgia with 82. Notre Dame third at 78. Cincinnati fourth with 44. How about Cincinnati? More active weeks in the top 25 than even Ohio State by a pretty good margin there. From the SEC point of view, Ole Miss with 15 straight weeks in the uh, top 25. So again, pretty impressive for Lane Kiffin. Uh, no doubt. Uh, and uh, even with different coaches, Oklahoma continues to do what uh, it, with their fine play over that time. And we've seen Wake Forest in in these lists and they're at the bottom kind of at the bottom of the list but just to be listed says uh, a decent amount about kind of what they've done and also oklahoma state who travel i think you mentioned a few minutes ago uh ou and texas coming to the sec does that mean mike gundy and oklahoma state are they ready even with the 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 addition starting in 23 in the Big 12, can Oklahoma State run that league for uh, in, in the next few years? Very well, might be interesting to see what a, what programs like Houston and UCF yes. are able to get done upon entry into the Big 12, leaving the AAC. Longest home win streaks in college football history. Miami sits atop that list with 58 straight wins at what was then the the Orange Bowl uh, for the That's Hurricanes. Right. From 1985 to 1994, Alabama just a game behind at 57 in what really spanned the Paul Bear Bryant era in Tuscaloosa from 1963 to 1982. Was it Southern Miss that ended that win streak? In 82. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Trav, was that Reggie Collier? I believe that was Reggie Collier. Yeah. What a run. But yeah, those are your longest home win streaks. And so some interesting things to touch on at this time of year when you talk about streaks. If you're wondering about current active losing streaks, Florida International leading the way currently with 11. Uh, Duke with eight straight losses. Indiana coming off that, had that bowl win really? or the bowl game against, uh, what, Tennessee a couple of years ago, wasn't it? That's In the right. Gator? In the Gator Bowl. Absolutely. Yeah. Stanford, boy. The the shine on the star that once was David Shaw has uh, dulled a little bit, hasn't it? Uh, with eight straight losses no, for the no Cardinals, uh, Vanderbilt actually, you know, isn't as high up on this list as you would think with seven straight losses. Temple with seven as well. So some winners and losers from a streak perspective on the latest edition of Second Helping Brent from a position. Uh, standpoint. I wanted to talk to you a little bit in the SEC about the inside linebacker position for the upcoming year. And, you know, I think there are some guys that maybe are a little bit forgotten. Maybe it's because of injury, like a guy like Ventrell Miller, right? At the University of Florida, had the injury a year ago, missed most of the 2021 campaign. Uh, How does he come back from that situation? But you look around the league, and there's certainly quality options. Henry Toa back at Alabama. Yeah. 
You got bumper pullback at Arkansas. You got Drew Sanders joining that mix at the linebacker level at Arkansas from Alabama in the transfer portal. Uh, but you've also got you know, Jeremy Banks at Tennessee coming off a big season, 128 tackles from, from him a year ago, was a running back early on during his career at Tennessee. How would you stack up what looks to be this next wave of players at the position Nicobe Dean moves on, Christian right. Harris moves on, some pretty big shoes to fill around the league as well. Uh, Trevor, let, let me throw one here that is just, uh, for whatever reason, cannot stay healthy, but is a real force when he does. Owen Papo at Auburn. Uh, yeah. uh, if uh, Listen, how good could he be, Trevor, if he could put 12 games in a row together? No, there's no doubt about it. Um, you've always worried a little bit with Papo about his size or yes. lack of it. And seems like at times that works against him. He gets a little bit caught up in the wash and uh, that can be problematic. But in terms of today's inside linebacker, that's more of what defensive coordinators like because they like the sideline to sideline range, the ability to drop and play in coverage. So as much as anything, Auburn needs Owen Papo to live up to his recruiting billing because of the losses at linebacker and in that front seven in general. So, Big, big season coming up for Owen Papo and that Auburn defense. But, yeah, when we consider some of the movement around the league at the linebacker position, you also think about the transfer portal and how it impacts things. And a guy like Troy Brown for Ole Miss comes in from Central Michigan where he was a three-time first-team All-Mac selection. So we talk about the portal in relation to Ole Miss and how much – work Lane Kiffin did from that perspective and uh, wasn't just limited to the offensive side of the ball. They've got a couple of guys on defense that they're really counting on. Uh, well, and uh, th- that is where uh, that Lane Kiffin said that they've got to make the improvement, uh, that they know that uh, without a doubt. And, and Trav, two, two other guys I want to mention too would be uh, Jack West Jones from Kentucky, mm-hmm. who is also Speaking of Ole Miss. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And also Mike Jones Jr. at LSU, another guy. uh, Transfer. uh, Absolutely. For 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 transfer. So uh, that that has made a huge difference in in that position in the league. Yeah. With Damone Clark moving on from LSU, Mike Jones Jr., is expected to step into the spotlight more at the inside linebacker position in year one under Brian Kelly. So you consider some of these guys that, again, you're going to expect to see front and center around the Southeastern Conference. I know we didn't touch on them all, but just wanted to highlight a few Mm -hmm. of the inside linebackers, give a little bit of love to the guys right there in the middle of the field. Anything else, Brent, before we get out of here on a Friday? A couple of quick things uh, for us both to comment on. Matt Hayes did a nice job on a on what he called disturbing stat trends that must change. For instance, Alabama allowing 41 sacks uh, last season. A&M quarterbacks, completion percentage, 56%. Second worst in the league and we mentioned Kentucky a few minutes ago. Trav, I still think this may be the difference in their season. 
lost 10 fumbles last year, second worst in the league, and LSU, 3.33 yards per carry, 13th in the SEC in rushing. And how about Florida, 18 picks thrown, tied for the worst in the nation, much less the SEC. Uh, some things that's got to change this coming year for these teams, right? Interesting stuff, no doubt about it. Well, Brent, as always, have enjoyed our time here on Second Helping. Always a wealth of information, Mr. Brent Beard. And look forward to creeping closer to SEC Media Days in the coming days and weeks. And we'll continue to connect with you right here on Second Helping. Brent, have a great weekend. Uh, and, uh, Trav, happy Father's Day again. And will we, will we have continuing Pops updates on Twitter as a week yeah, goes we're on. Yeah, we're officially on Pops Watch. So <laughs> we'll have to see how that plays out. For Brent Beard, Travis Schreier, thanking you once again. If you haven't already, how about a subscription to the Second Helping Podcast? Wherever you consume pods, you're going to find us. If you leave us a rating and a review, that would help us out tremendously as well. For Brent, Travis, look forward to catching up with you again real soon right here on Second Helping. Until then, so long, everybody. <laughs>